This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Good morning. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Praise you for your holy name. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the services and that we'd be a blessing to you as well. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they'd come to know you even today. And Lord, I pray for the Jews in the Ukraine that you would allow them to do Aliyah at this time. Bring your children home, Lord. And we'll give you the honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would, this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've entitled the message, Have Faith in God. Have Faith in God. Let's read, let's read several verses. We're going to look at the whole chapter uh, this morning, but in brief, and we'll focus on the very last five verses of the passage of the chapter. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. I think as we look at this, and I hope you'll see it as well, that the importance of this chapter cannot be overemphasized. When we talk about the faith chapter, often people think of Hebrews chapter 11, but this chapter speaks of the operation of genuine faith in an individual and how it changes them. And so as we look at this passage this morning, again, I want to briefly look at these first um, several verses from 1 to 16, but focus the bulk of our time from verses 17 to 21, which speaks of our entrance into faith. And so the first five verses describe the knowledge of faith. And if you look at these verses that we've just read, you see the confidence that Paul has that what God has promised is true. And, and notice these things here that he says, genuine faith produces a knowledge of what is true. As you look at Paul's description in here, he's writing concerning what he knows and those to whom he is writing know. It's this confidence of the truth that Paul notes for which he has no empirical data. There's not empirical data about heaven and the existence of heaven. There's no 
microscope under which you can look at heaven. There's no test tube in which you can experiment with heaven. But Paul knows nonetheless, because it's the light of the Holy Spirit that convinces his convinces him of this truth. It's, there's no empirical data, but it's not a blind leap either. The light that the Spirit of God gives is the truth of this. And he, he describes this. What is it we know? He says, we know we have a building from God, eternal in the heavens. When this body dies, we know we have eternal life. We know that this is true, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We understand this. We know it by faith because God has said it, and we see this. We understand faith is not just believing something. Well, I'll believe this or that. It's based on believing what God's Word says and the truth about His Son. That's faith. And so we see the knowledge of faith in verses 1 to 5. Indeed, this is true. We know that in this tent we groan, but we have something from God, a new life with Him. The knowledge of faith. Secondly, we see the walk of faith. In verses 6 through 10, Paul describes this. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that when we are present when we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And so, he, he, he says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. And, and he describes this here, we are of good courage, I say, prefer rather to be absent from the body than to be at home with the Lord. So, we make it our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. That's the walk of faith that Paul is talking about. When you express faith in Jesus Christ, in the Word of God, and in Christ's death and resurrection for your sin, you understand that it's because of who you are in Jesus Christ and where your home is that you want to walk in a way that pleases God. And so, we we see this Faith in Christ should cause you to recognize you have a responsibility to live before Him, to make it our ambition to be pleasing to Him. That says there is a walk that is pleasing to Him, and there is a walk that is not. And we're going to look at this in detail tonight, uh, the importance of this. We're going to look at the rest of the passage in detail tonight because because of this importance of this chapter. But the third thing that we notice here in these, in these verses is the work of faith. The work of faith. What is it? Paul says in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God. God knows our hearts. We're persuading people to come to Christ. And what's the focus for that? Paul says, what's what's our focus? Why are we persuading men concerning the judgment of God? The love of Christ compels us to tell others about Jesus. It's the love of Christ. And Paul says this. He says, we know this, that one died for all. 
Therefore, all were dead. We were all dead. That's why Christ died for all, so that we who live might no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who died and rose again on our behalf. It's the love of Jesus Christ that controls our own heart to say, tell people about what Christ has done for you. That's the work of faith. If you're not settled in your own understanding that Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead and you have life in Him, how will you tell others of it? If you're not convinced of the love of Christ that He loved you so much He gave Himself for you so that you need not be fear of, in fear of death, how can you share this with others? But it's the conviction of faith. It's the, the call of faith that calls us, compels us, constrains us in the love of Christ to tell others about that love. And so lastly, this morning, I want to focus on, for the rest of our time, the transformation of faith. And we see that in verses 17 through 21. These verses are so important. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, and He's committed to us the ministry, the Word, the preaching of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. He made Him, God the Father made Christ the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so we see this transformation of faith. When, when you believe the promise of Jesus Christ for yourself, that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, there's a great transformation that takes place. Paul said in verse 14, this remarkable truth, the love of Christ compels us. We were all dead. Every one of us was dead in our sin. He died for all because we were all dead in our sin. When the Bible speaks of death, it doesn't mean inability, being incapable or unconscious. It means separation. That's what the Scripture means when it speaks of death. There's physical death. We know that. It's the separation of the body from the soul. But then there's spiritual death, and that's what Paul is talking about here. It's the separation of a person from God. You're separated from God. And that's what Paul said, the whole world is separated from God because of their sin. In His love for you, Jesus Christ poured out His lifeblood. He paid the penalty of your sin. You were dead. You were separated from God because of your sin. And when you come to the place of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this remarkable transformation takes place. And Paul describes this transformation in three different ways. To believe in Christ doesn't simply mean to assent in your mind to a set of cold facts that don't change you. 
Saving faith is when in belief of this gospel, this good news that Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, you call upon Him to save you from your sin. That's what transforms you. And so the first result of transformation, and if we can, I think logically we can work backward from from these verses, 21 back to 17, to see this transformation. The first thing that we see, the first result that we see is a new righteousness from God. A new righteousness from God. Verse 21, He made Him, God the Father made Christ the Son to be sin for us who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Why is this verse so, I would say, so very, so extremely important in regard to eternal life? I, I would say this one verse would be on your top ten verses to memorize. Memorize hundreds of others, but make this one of your top ten. Why? Because it describes in one short, succinct verse the substitution that makes for eternal life, that can change the world. God requires you, think about this, if you're to get to heaven, God requires that you have perfect righteousness, that you be perfect to get to heaven. And there's no loophole around this. No lawyer is going to be able to argue your way into heaven. There's no loophole for this. You have, there's no weighing of good, good works versus your bad works, and hopefully what's good will outweigh your bad. No, God requires perfection because the payment for your sin is death, separation from God for all eternity in hell. You need a completely clean slate to enter heaven, and you can't. Well, I'm just going to confess all the things I've done wrong, and that'll make me right with God. You can't even begin to know everything you've done wrong. Regardless of knowing God's perfect standard, how many things over the years have you forgotten that you've done you've never remembered? And if it was based on you confessing your sin, you could never do it. I was reminded of this. Uh, My brother gave me the task to go through certain paperwork at my mom's house and get things in order and ready. And and I pulled out this little payment receipt from 1981. I looked at it. It was strange. It was 1981, November of 1981. And it's, you know, just that typical, you know, paid, received by, you know. and uh, um, Received by David Munier. $89 for vandalized door window. And I didn't even remember the woman's name. It's not like it was a neighbor I remembered. So here it was. I was like 14 years old, and I vandalized some woman's door. You'd think that would have been like big in my mind to remember, right? And confess and take, well, no, not at all. How many more other things do we miss? And if it's dependent on you to confess your, your sins, if you need to have a perfect, clean slate before God, that won't do it. You can't rely on yourself. Excuse me. You can't rely on yourself. And so, think about what this verse says. 
God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that we would become the righteousness of God in Him. This is the greatest substitution ever made. Jesus is described as taking your sin upon Himself. He who never sinned, the holy Creator, took sin upon Himself for you so that you might have eternal life. So you might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so all your sin gets placed on Him and God's own righteousness can be placed upon you as a gift. You can be given God's righteousness. Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. And in order to secure your deliverance from the penalty of sin, He took the penalty of sin upon Himself. He died in your place. He suffered hell for you more than anyone had ever done. The Father poured out His wrath upon the Son, the wrath you and I deserved. His death on the cross accomplished what your own effort could never have done. Not yourself, not what you could have done for someone else. His, as He hung dying on the cross, He cried out, It is finished. It's paid in full. The debt for your own sin was covered once and for all. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead to offer you His righteousness That's what this verse means. That's why it's so powerful. Two dozen little words so strongly strung together that they're worth a king's ransom because the king ransomed himself to save the world whom he loved. Uh, An example of this substitution that I use when I, I preach in Cranston at the prison. And uh, when I go, I'll often use uh, this illustration. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll find someone in the front and I'll, and I'll point them out and I'll say, hey, John, I said, listen, if I were to go to the judge that's adjudicating your case and I were to say, your honor, would you take John's record and place it upon me and take my record and place it upon John? If the judge allowed that, what would happen? And you'd see, I, I, I see the guy thinking, and all of a sudden his eyes widen up, and he says, well, well, I'd be outside. And I said, yes. I said, but where would I be? And then he'd say, well, you'd be in here. Yes, that's what Jesus Christ did for you and me. He took our penalty so that we could have His record of righteousness and be made righteous in the sight of God. That's what God did for us. That's the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But you have to receive this righteousness as a gift, not by works, the Bible says. Faith is the key to open that door through which you can be saved from the penalty of hell and given eternal life. But it's more than simply being safe from hell. It's not that God says, okay, you you don't have to go to hell, but listen, I'm I'm not going to tolerate you. 
No, look at, what, look at the next key result of the transformation of faith that takes place. Paul says in verse 18 and 19, all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So, what, what's going on here? This results, this righteousness of faith, this transformation of faith results in a new relationship with God. Not just a righteousness from God, but a new relationship with Him. To be reconciled to God means to become friends with Him. We become friends with God. See, the Bible says without Jesus Christ, you are in a state of hostility against God. Now, you might say, well, but I love God. I, I want to know God. I, I... If you are without Christ, the Bible says you are enemies with God. That's what it is. If your sin's not been wiped away completely and His righteousness been given to you as a gift, you're at enmity with God. You're in a state of hostility. You know, sometimes it appears, if you look at the news, that North Korea and South Korea are on friendly terms. Sometimes they want to talk with each other. The leaders are going to get together and they're going to talk. But in 1953, when the armistice was signed between North Korea and South Korea, that was not an ending of the war. It was a ceasefire. North Korea and South Korea today are still in a state of war which is the same thing. You th- you, I'm on friendly terms with God. God understands me and I understand God. But the truth is, as kind as God may be to you, and the Bible says He is kind to all His creation. He is amazingly kind to us. That in no way means that necessarily there is not warfare between you, that you are at war with Him. But this transformation of faith changes all this. When you come to receive Christ as your Savior, that long-standing war between you and God is removed. The word that Paul uses here four times in those two verses, reconciliation, means to become friends with. You can be a friend of God. God wants to be your friend. He doesn't want to just tolerate you. He wants to be your friend. And the righteousness that you receive from God by faith will make you a friend of God. That's what we see, and it brings you, it reconciles you to a new and living relationship with the God of the universe. The God of the universe wants to be your friend. He's no longer angry with you over your sin As a matter of fact, the Scripture says when that happens, when you trust Christ as your Savior, when you call upon Him and receive Him, and you receive the righteousness of Christ, the Bible says He hides your sin from His eyes. The blood of Jesus Christ covers your sin and restores your relationship with God. He'll no longer see your sin. There's an interesting principle in optics that when you look at an object, you look at a red object through a red lens of the same wavelength, it appears clear. 
That's what Isaiah 118 means when it says, come let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are red like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're like crimson, they'll be like wool. You see, when the blood of Christ is applied to your sin, that red stain of your sin is removed. God sees you as white as snow, as clean as snow. And so Paul describes this. And God doesn't just offer reconciliation to you. He doesn't just offer this. He wants you to be reconciled to Himself. Paul says, we're ambassadors for Christ as if God were making an appeal through us. I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. Be made right with Him. I beg you. That's what Paul was saying. That's what everyone who has been transformed by faith in Christ ought to be saying to others, the love of Christ controls me. Christ died for your sins. He rose again. He wants you to be friends with Him. Come to Him. Receive Him as Savior. But thirdly, we see from these verses that not only do we receive a righteousness from God and a new relationship with God, but we're made a new creation by God. There's a new creation that He makes in verse 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. New things have come. There's a new creation. And that's why the Scripture calls that event. The time when you call upon the Lord Jesus, when you say, Lord, save me from my sin. Give me the righteousness of Jesus Christ that He paid for for me. When you say that, The Bible calls that being born again, being born from above. You've been born into the family of God. Peter says, you've not been born again by perishable seed, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. There's a new birth that takes place. You become a new creature in Christ. You become a child of God. As Peter says earlier in that chapter, he says, for by the mercy of God, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You're a partaker of the resurrection of Christ. When you put your faith in Christ to pay for all your sin, to give you life, you share in His resurrection. That's why Paul starts off the chapter and says, now we know we have eternal life. If this body is torn down, we have new life with God. Your new creation because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed with Him in the Holy Spirit of promise. God's Spirit comes to live inside you. You become a new creature in Christ. You've become a child of God. 1 John chapter 3, it says, now we are the children of God. It's not yet appeared what we will be, but we know that when He appears, we'll be like Him, for we shall see Him just as He is. And Paul in Galatians 4.4 says, by the Spirit of God, we cry out with this spirit of adoption, dear Father, we have a heavenly Father. Because of this, the old things have passed away. Condemnation, 
That's passed away. There is no condemnation if you are in Christ. God will never condemn you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no fear of death. Maybe you've had a fear of death. If I die, what will happen to me? Will I go to heaven or hell? I don't know. I hope I'll go to heaven, but I'm not sure. The fear of death has passed away. Condemnation, the fear of death, slavery to sin, it doesn't define me any longer. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. Christ made me righteous. These new things have come. You've been made holy. You've been made blameless in God's sight through faith. That's the transformation of faith. And maybe you're here this morning and you said, well, I don't know of any time where I've called upon the Lord Jesus, where I've received Him as my Savior. I'm not sure if I were to die today if I'd go to heaven or not. I don't know. Maybe I have. But I can't remember. The Bible says, the very next verses at the end of, at the beginning of the next chapter, Paul says, working together with God, as it's written, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, today is the day, the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. And so, Understand this, if there's never been a time where you've called upon the Lord Jesus, He's saved you, He's given you His righteousness as a gift. As we close our service this morning, we're going to have an opportunity for you to just come forward. There'll be somebody here to pray with you, to receive Christ as Savior. If, if you're a man who's coming forward, there'll be a man to pray with you. If there's a woman uh, if you're a woman, there's, there'll be a, a lady to pray with you. But please come if you need Christ as your Savior. Don't put that off. Christ gave Himself for you. And, and I am pleading with you, as Paul said, be reconciled to God. Be made right with Him because He gave Himself for you. He loved you so much. He didn't even spare His own life. He gave it up. So that in his resurrection, he could say, all who come to me, I will never cast out. Would you come to him? Would you receive him? Oh, let me encourage you today. If you need Christ, please come to him. When we begin to sing this morning, whatever song it is that Sam leads us, as we begin to sing, just come from your seat where you're at and come forward. Someone can pray with you so you can receive Christ. You can call upon Him and be saved. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your mercy. I thank You for this, this passage of Scripture. It is so deep, we, we can't even look, begin to look at it all in, in, in one time together. So, Lord, I pray if there is anyone here today who has never put their faith in You, Lord, we know it, it doesn't mean just to know about You, Many have known about you for years without having called upon your name. Lord, if there is any here who have never called upon you, receive this gift of righteousness. Father, may they today call upon your name. Draw them by your Spirit. Illuminate their heart and mind through the Word. Allow them 
to see by faith great grace that's found in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. We're going to sing my Jesus, I love thee. As we get ready to sing here, do you need Christ as your Savior? Would you come, please? As we sing, you come to receive Jesus as your Savior. we sing that second verse. We'll not delay. But if you need to receive Christ, we have that time for you. If you need to receive Him, would you come? Call upon Him. Come down this aisle. Someone will pray with you to call upon the Lord Jesus. Please, you come as we sing on that second verse. Come now. in prayer. Tonight at 6, we'll be uh, looking at the rest of that passage. It's it's got great application uh, for how we're to take faith into our life, how we're to live out faith in our life. And uh, like I said, a very, very important passage uh, we'll look at tonight at 6. Pray together. Father, thank you for this day, for your love for us. We thank you for the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. We thank you that Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. God, how can we comprehend this? What, a, what an awesome thing that you did to take our sin and place it upon your own son and punish him for what we deserved. Oh, God, help us. Help us to see the grace and live in it. Father, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Plainville Baptist Church dot org.